This morning, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called True Love, and it's going through bits and pieces of the book, The Song of Solomon. Now, some of you probably cringed when you heard that word because you feel like it's super awkward, and it might just be, you'll have to buckle up. It's G-rated, so you'll be okay. You won't have to have any awkward conversations with your kids after church today, I promise. But we're going to have fun. It's a, it's a wild book, I'll tell you that. Confusing, maybe. Um, definitely some courtship, some chemistry, some connection in there. It's a book of poetry, and it's a book of love, and I would say it's true love. It's a message from the mouth of Solomon, and I think the mouth of God straight to you and me as he describes what true love really looks like. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive straight into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, today as we open a, an unusual book that is rarely preached, may your love shine through each word. May we sense your presence now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's probably hard to believe, it's a little embarrassing to say and admit, but from a young age, I've kind of been a ladies' man. It's okay, you can laugh. In first grade, my teacher, Miss Seeley, she had all the kids gather around for worship time, and she had that colorful mat that every first grade teacher has, you know. Sometimes they're in a semicircle, all the kids have to pick a color or a square, and they sit on it. And... I would sit in the same place every morning, yet all the other girls would jockey for position to sit next to me because I knew how to braid hair. <laughs> this is first grade romance 101, and so I would braid their hair while the teacher would read the worship story. In fourth, fifth, sixth grade maybe, when you're Pathfinder age, I was in Pathfinders and I loved Pathfinders for the campouts, and you could build fires, and you could swing a hatchet. That's all fun, but I really went for the girls. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I remember one campout specifically. We went to uh, Northeast Tennessee Regional Pathfinder Campery, and, and uh, we get there, and Greenville gets the, all the tents set up, and we're, ju we're just next door to another church, the Knoxville Pathfinder Group. Let me tell you, the Knoxville girls are beautiful, especially these two girls named Lauren and Jenny. They were identical twins. Beauty times two. Beauty squared. Uh, I distinctly remember one evening I, I was sitting by the fire, and, and as every fifth or sixth grade boy thinks, they think, man, I would love to have an official girlfriend. So I asked one of my friends, her name was Jackie, and I said, Jackie, uh, why don't you go over to the Knoxville camp and ask Lauren if she'll be my girlfriend? <laughs> Jackie got up. She went to the, the camp next door, Knoxville, and she walked over to Lauren. They were already friends, and she said, hey, you know Matt Smith? And she said, yeah. She said, he wants you to be his girlfriend. What do you think? Jackie comes back. I'm warming my hands by the fire, just waiting, very, very confident. And she says, uh, well, Matt... Lauren said, no. I'm losing my mojo here. I had to kind of jumpstart everything, and I said, well, you know what? She has an identical twin sister. How are they going to know? I said, Jackie, would you mind going back over to Knoxville and seeing if Jenny would be my girlfriend? 
Well, it turns out that sister love is stronger than uh, romance love because I got the same response coming back from the twin girl. At GCA in high school, Georgia Cumberland Academy, um, loved going to school there, and I went my junior year. Here's a picture of the campus. Uh, the boys' dorms there on the left. Uh, Pastor Mark knows that dorm pretty well, as he was the chaplain there for a little bit. Was it a chaplain or was it an assistant dean? All of them, yes. Uh, the girls' dorm is the top right-hand um, dormitory, the building up there. And there's a tradition at GCA. It's called uh, Pony Express. And on every Sunday night at about 7 o'clock, the, the dorms will write letters back and forth to each other. Uh, this is before cell phones. I'm that old for sure. And when the guys' dorm starts, it would flip-flop every the week. When the guys' dorm would start, I, I had this philosophy that you could throw a very large net out there and hope you catch a fish. And so I would write lots and lots of notes to any girl that I knew their name, and I'd put it in the Pony Express. The Pony Express would go from the guys' dorm over to the girls' dorm, and then hopefully at least one of the girls would write me back. Well, Jen shows up to GCA, and my net got very much more small and defined. And so I would write to Jen, and when you write to the most beautiful girl in the world, you write with passion and love, just dripping with emotions. Just as it is in the lives of fifth graders, fifth grade boys, it's the same as it was in Solomon's day too. The Song of Solomon, this book in the Bible that nobody preaches because it almost feels sacrilegious, it's filled with the words of a romance, of, of a romantic man who loves romance. It's just drippy words. I wish I could write like Solomon. It's just beautiful, and he, he pours out his love. It's, if you're reading this book, Song of Solomon, it feels like you're reading a spicy novel. You know what I mean? Or if you're a man, you read this, and it kind of grosses you out a little bit. The Song of Solomon is a beautiful book that describes what true love looks like. And if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open it to Song of Solomon chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can follow along on page 480 in the Pew Bible in front of you, that blue book. You'll read the same words that I'm reading. Song of Solomon chapter 4. Now Solomon, he gets the credit for writing this book. And you can read it right there in Solomon 1.1. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's the very first words are Solomon's Song of Songs. Now, some would say that Solomon wrote this, and it's his book of songs. But you could also read this the other way, that it's for Solomon. It's to Solomon, and it's his uh, book of songs. Either way, Solomon is in the mix. Now, what's interesting about this book is that it's written in a structure that is a chiasm. You see chiasms all throughout the Bible, uh, oftentimes, and it's to make a central point. In fact, if you have a study guide, you'll want to write this down. A chiasm is a mirror image that creates symmetry as it leads to a single point. Here's what the book of Song of Solomon, the chiasm, looks like. You've got a prologue and an epilogue. You've got two invitations You've got two knights that are almost identical, and then you have the pinnacle climax point of the whole book, and it's this wedding ceremony that we get to focus on today. Imagine this scene with me as Solomon. He's standing on the platform. It's his wedding day. Everything's ready, and the back doors of the church open up, and his bride-to-be is there. And Song of Solomon chapter 4 is his description 
of what the bride looks like. Now, we don't know what she looks like. There's no picture of her floating around. What we have is a description of what the bride looks like through the groom's eyes, what he's seeing from the platform. Here's what Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1 says. We're going to read this, the first seven verses, and then we'll go back through it. Here's what it says. Solomon says this. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with, a, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts, this got awkward real fast, didn't it? They're like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Verse 6 says, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. He says, You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. I mean, I don't know what you just read or if that sounds beautiful to you, but if, um, if a Photoshop artist took all of these attributes, these metaphors, these similes, and he put it on this woman, this is what she would really look like. <laughs> a flock of goats for the hair, doves for the eyes, pomegranate cheeks, a couple of gazelles up there. This is thanks to Melissa Martin as she uh, was getting the children's story together and she sent this to me. Now that doesn't look too beautiful to me, but in Solomon's eyes, she's gorgeous. In fact, here's what it says, Song of Solomon 4, verse 1, let's go back through it. He says, oh, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. It's like he says it twice for emphasis, almost like he stands up there and she walks in and he goes, <whistles> he says, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. And I don't know if he's giving her a compliment or if he's throwing shade. Your hair looks like goats. <laughs> Back in Palestine in these days, you had sheep, they're all white, and you had goats, they were all black. And as Solomon looks at this beautiful bride coming in, he sees her dark black hair. It's probably silky. I don't know if it's curly. Maybe there's some wave in it, but it's length where it bobs on her shoulders and her back, and it tussles around her face, and it's beautiful. Verse 2, he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. He looks at her, and she's got a great smile. In fact, you can't miss the point that she's smiling. He can see her teeth. She's happy to be there, too. She doesn't have any missing teeth. They're clean and white. Verse 3, he says, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Who knows, maybe they had lipstick back in the day, but she's got a, a red smile as she, a red lips as she smiles at him. He goes on, he says, your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your temples like your cheeks. As she smiles, her cheek muscles go up in kind of a, a roundish, reddish pose, and he sees her cheeks, and it reminds him of pomegranate. She's happy. 
Verse 4, he says, your neck, it's like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. He looks at her neck and he can see every, every shapely dimple and every, it's just strength. There's muscles there and it's beautiful. And he sees something else. It says, on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. She has a necklace on. It's beautiful. The light cascades and glints off of the metal, whatever it looks like. And it's beautiful. Verse 5, as he's looking from head to toe, he says, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. They browse among the lily. He gets to the part that's very foreign to him, and he just stares for a moment. They're just alike. They're twins, just the right size and shape. Moving on, he says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I'll go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. And he says, tonight's the night I've been waiting for. It's my honeymoon night. Verse 7, last he finishes up, he says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. She's beautiful, isn't she? What a beautiful woman. What a bride. What a view as the groom stands on the platform looking to see his bride. June 17, 2007 was a special day for me too. All the invitations had been sent out. Friends and family had gathered. The, the Dalton Seventh-day Adventist Church up in Georgia was filled to the brim. People were there. The organ music was playing. The candles had been lit. Everyone had their boutonnieres on. Our flowers were chosen. Gerber daisies. And I had a big orange Gerber daisy on my jacket. And uh, all the groomsmen were lined up. I was on the platform. My dad, Pastor Dave, was there ready to preach the very long, unnecessary message that I remember. <laughs> the music stops changes music. Everyone stands, and I look to the back of the sanctuary. The doors open, and there stands my father-in-law and my bride. Would you like to see what she looks like? There she is. Hmm. That was it? I thought there'd be more. Beautiful. I think that I see her crying in that picture on the right. It's debatable. I've had some text messages this morning that says she's not crying, Matt. Or maybe she's crying because she's worried. She doesn't want to go, but what a bride. I remember that day very vividly. And just like Solomon stands on the platform and he can barely handle seeing his bride, I too stood there watching her. But while Solomon's bride and my bride are beautiful, there's another bride in the Bible, and she's not quite as pretty. All throughout the Bible, there's this analogy, there's this theme of a bride and a groom, the groom being Christ and the bride being us, his church. It's this theme throughout scripture. You see it all the time. I mean, here's several verses. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, for your maker, that's God, is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. Again, Isaiah says it. He says, as a young man rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. God says these words in Hosea, New Living Translation. He says, I will make you my wife forever. Second Corinthians, Paul writes it this way. He says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Lastly, in Revelation, you see it again. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The bride's the church. We are the bride. All the Christians are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. But here's the thing. This bride, she isn't the prettiest. While the bride in Song of Solomon is a 10 out of 10, this bride, not so much. 
The bride, throughout the Bible, she's not drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, She's the kind of bride that when the back doors of the church open up, everyone peers back there and they don't ooh and ah, but they gasp in horror, thinking, that bride's going to marry the groom? Isn't there someone better? It's almost like those couples that you see as you walk down the street and you say, they don't go together. She must be really funny or really smart or make a lot of money to be with him. Her beauty's missing. She's nothing like Solomon's bride. Here's her description all throughout the Bible, like this one. Isaiah 64 says this, that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind of our wind, our sins sweep us away. We are an unclean, filthy bride. Isaiah 1 says that, and we read this last week, that our We are covered in sin like scarlet and crimson. In fact, we are a scarlet guilty bride. Romans 3 says that every one of us have sinned, that we've all fallen short. We are a sinful bride. Romans 3 says uh, that there's no one righteous, not even one, that we are an unrighteous bride. You put them all together, and we are a very undeserving bride. But all throughout the Bible as we are described as unclean and filthy and scarlet and guilty and sinful and undeserving, we're ugly, yet it's not how we view ourselves that matters. Are you with me? Did you hear me? It's how the groom sees us that makes all the difference. Are you with me this morning? I feel like you were dozing a little bit. Do we need more study, guys, to keep you awake? I'm going to say that again. It's how the groom sees us through his eyes that makes all the difference. Because he sees us as drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, in his eyes, we are a stunner. He saw us as clean and sin-free and as righteous and fully deserving. Paul even writes about marriage and this, the husband-wife thing with humans as well as Christ and the church. He writes in Ephesians 5, he writes these words. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. He goes on. He says, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's almost as if Jesus, the groom, knew what we could be like if we got married to him. Jesus died for his bride, the church, you and me, to make us holy, to make us clean, to make us blameless, to make us beautiful. Even in our ugliness, Jesus saw what we could be like. He saw the beauty that we can have as we grow in our relationship with him, as he changes us to look like him. He saw the potential that we could have as a life with the groom changes people. And it brings me to a point in this sermon that we can't forget. It's simply this. We're going to put it on the screen. When we see what we look like, not through the eyes of sin, but through his eyes, it should change us. As we walk down the the wedding aisle of life and we see Jesus, the value that he's placed on us, the death that he died for us, then it should change us. It's almost as if when the bride is walking down the aisle and 
and she looks up and she sees the groom and he's looking at her and, and there's tears streaming out of his face because he can't handle how beautiful she is through his eyes. The beauty that she now has is greater than before she was with the groom. The value placed on her through his eyes makes her all the more beautiful. And that's not my idea, it's biblical. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he writes these words, he says, and we, it's a marriage scene, it's a wedding, who with unveiled faces, you got the picture? The groom and the bride are together. The groom's been waiting for this moment all day long where he can lift the veil and, and take it over her head so that he can now kiss her. Paul says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, that's seeing something and having it return, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You could say it this way, by beholding the groom, we become changed to be like the groom. It's when we look to Jesus and we see the value he's placed on us and see his sacrifice that we become transformed into something greater than we could ever have been without him. We're beautiful, not because we're naturally pretty, but because the groom thinks we're beautiful. Maybe you've heard the story or the legend of Johnny Lingo. How many of you know Johnny Lingo? Oh, excellent. Three of us. Good. This is a good illustration then. I remember seeing this little video clip. I think it's 10 minutes long. Maybe it's a little longer. What a great story. Happened somewhere in the Pacific Islands. And Johnny Lingo, he's known as the shrewdest trader of all time. If anybody's getting a deal, it's Johnny Lingo. Everything. He just trades things and he makes deal. He's the kind of guy that would take a paper clip and trade it up until he owns a house. You've seen these stories? This is Johnny Lingo. Well, he gets to the point in life where he wants a wife. And so on a certain island in the Pacific, he finds his bride-to-be, and her name is Muhana. Not Moana, you Disney fans. Muhana. And he gets to this island. He uh, sees her, and he wants to marry her. Now, in the tradition goes that, that to get a wife, you'd have to pay for her, or you have to trade something for her. And in those days, you could trade lots of different things. You could trade clothing or jewels or, or um, animals like chickens or, or goats or even cows. The pretty girls you'd trade cows for. Johnny Lingo, he gets to the island and he goes, and he goes to her father, Muhana. Everyone knows that she's ugly. The villagers know they've got eyes. Her father knows. He even tells her that she's ugly every day. She's so embarrassed, she doesn't even want to go to the bargaining because she's afraid that her father is going to give her away for free just to get rid of her. So she hides in the woods and she peers out through the trees to see this bargaining happening. And Johnny comes up to the father and he says, I would like your daughter's hand in marriage. How much do you want? Well, the father, he, he has to think it through and it's almost like a Craigslist ad. He's, he's thinking, well, you know, OBO, or best offer, you know, take whatever. Johnny comes back and he says, how many cows would you like? Well, the father didn't even know cows were an option. So now he's faced that he has to make this decision because it's a bargain and he knows there's going to be a counteroffer. And so he, he goes to his counselors and he says, hey guys, what, what should we do here? 
Meanwhile, all the villagers are around. They're watching everything. They know Moana. They can't believe that the cow is even an option here. It, it's like a Facebook marketplace deal happening, and all the villagers are the people that are chatting back and forth on what this item is. It's live. Everybody can see it. And the villagers are saying, if the father says, uh, I want two cows, Johnny will come back with one cow. If the father says, I want one cow, Johnny will say, you can have the horns and the tail, but you're not getting a whole cow. And so the father and the counselors, they're, they're talking to each other, and finally the father comes back to Johnny and he says, in order for you to have Mohana, I want three cows. Everybody gasps, three cows? No way. And Johnny responds with these words, three cows is a lot of cows, but it's not enough for Muhana. I will give you eight cows. Everyone gasps. They wonder, how could this be? Eight cows? No woman ever goes for eight cows. Yet Johnny wants to give eight cows for the ugly girl. They get married. They move to another island. Several months later, one of the villagers goes and visits Johnny and Muhana. And they walk into the home and Johnny welcomes them in and they sit down and and they have conversation, and, and the villager says, Johnny, where is Muhana? And he says, oh, she'll be right here. And Muhana comes in, but she doesn't look the same. She's completely changed. Her hair is beautiful. Her face is smiling. Her teeth are white. Her lips are red. Her neck is beautiful. She is... <whistles> because her beauty was seen through the eyes of the groom, she was transformed into something more beautiful than she could ever have been by herself. She was gorgeous. What a groom. What a picture of true love. What a life-changing view through his eyes. May you see the beauty that Jesus sees in you. And may it transform you into the bride that only is good enough for the King of Kings as your groom. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today we're overwhelmed by your love for us, that you would see something in us enough to die for us. And we thank you, God, that you'll love us despite who we are. And we pray that we to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.